Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host Alex Klein and today we're talking cinema and this is actually a very very special issue because we've got some breaking news right away which is uh, right now Disney is doing their D23 uh, convention uh, in I believe it's in California and uh, they just had the Disney Plus panel. And uh, if you haven't heard what that is, that's Disney's new streaming service that uh, is debuting in November. And uh, they're hoping that it's going to be sort of a competitor for Netflix, Amazon, that sort of stuff. And it 100% is because the content that's going to be on Disney Plus is insane. Literally the entire Disney library is going to be on there. But the interesting thing is there are going to be um, original shows that are going to debut on specifically on Disney Plus exclusively to Disney Plus. And so um, I'm sure if you if you follow news, you'll know that that Disney had their big announcement at San Diego Comic Con in July, and they revealed their movie and TV slate for Disney Plus and the movies through 2021. So they had, um, and we'll see, I'll, I'll pull it up as I'm going. But uh, on D23 today, they actually announced three more shows that are going to be uh, on Disney Plus. And the assumption that I'm seeing so far is just that these shows will probably premiere after the shows that already were announced, but they, I don't think they exactly said when they're coming out. So uh, for those of you who didn't know, just as a quick recap, and I'm not going to go into detail on these, just going to say them, but um, Disney announced Black Widow, which is coming out in May of next year, and then Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is the first Disney Plus show. And then The Eternals, which is coming out in November of next year. So Falcon and Winter Soldier, presumably, I think it said like fall of next year because um, it's a show. And I think most of these are going to be like six to eight episodes. And they haven't confirmed yet if they're dropping them all at once or once a week. But uh, I did see that the, Ma the Mandalorian, which is like the new Star Wars Disney Plus show, is going to be doing a weekly drop. So that will probably be what Marvel does as well. And then in 2021, very busy year, and that brings me, that'll bring me to what I'm about to explain, but uh, you got Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. That comes out, I think, in February. And then WandaVision, uh, which is a Disney Plus show. And then Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. That is coming out in May. And then Loki, TV show for Disney+. Plus. What If, that's also a TV show for Disney+. Plus. And then Hawkeye, another Disney Plus show. And then Thor Love and Thunder comes out in, um, in November of 2021. And so that's what Marvel is considering as their Phase 4. Uh, they also announced at Comic-Con Blade, a Blade movie. Uh, no, no details except that Mahershala Ali is playing Blade. But uh, so that leads into this. So today at D23, Marvel made some new announcements. They announced a Moon Knight Disney Plus show, a Miss Marvel Disney Plus show, and a She-Hulk Disney Plus show. And they confirmed, and, and this is just from what I'm seeing on Twitter, because this has happened literally as I'm recording, this happened probably 10, 15 minutes ago, um, that Miss Marvel will be in the movies. And um, they didn't say the same about Moon Knight or She-Hulk, but um, didn't no casting announcements, no nothing. So um, they just showed these three um, shows right up against all the rest of the shows. So my thinking is these three shows will probably come out in 2022 and not necessarily 2021 because uh, there's too many. There's They've got a packed slate for 2021, which makes me think that tomorrow when they do their movie announcements, or if they do movie announcements, but let's be honest, they're going to do movie announcements, um, that maybe they'll reveal a couple of shows for uh, for 20 or movies for 2022 as well. If you want my bet, my guess, 
I would say just based off the fact that Kevin Feige has said in the past they like doing um, two sequels and a new movie, a new character, a new movie every year. And um, so if that's the case, my bets would be on Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Black Panther 2, and Blade. Those would be the three movies that I would I would think. Uh, but we don't know, so we'll see. And uh, like I said, those three TV shows, my initial thoughts on that is um, thank thank whoever you, whatever God you believe in that we're living in a time where not only do you and I get a show with the Scarlet Witch and we also get a show with Loki and we also get a movie that has the title Multiverse of Madness and a movie that has the title Love and Thunder. No, no, no. We also are going to get a the Moon Knight show we always wanted. Um, and, you know, who jury's out on how that show's going to be. But we've been clamoring for a Moon Knight show for a long time or Moon Knight movie, whatever. We always thought, oh, this would be a perfect Netflix street level type show. Well, Disney's pulling it off and they're going to do it or Marvel Studios is. And then Miss Marvel is probably one of my favorite new characters ever in terms of like the last few years miss marvel i've been waiting to see her on screen and so to find out that she's going to get not only a show which at that point means you're going to get about six to eight hours with miss marvel with kamala khan but also for her to be in the movies forget about it that's crazy and then she hulk as well holy cow what what do you what could you even do with she hulk in terms of uh what run would you follow my recommendation would be charles sewell's she hulk because that was a really cool show, balancing her as a lawyer as well. Could be a great way to introduce Matt Murdock into the Marvel Universe, or the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But uh, yeah, I, I, in terms of casting, my I, I don't know, honestly. I saw some casting for uh, Moon Knight as John, John Wick, as Keanu Reeves, and I don't know if I would want Keanu Reeves, though he would be so perfect. I Keanu Reeves is a good fighter and a good hand-to-hand combat guy based off of John Wick, so uh, that could easily make sense for sure, but they need to have someone who can properly articulate someone with uh, multiple personalities inside their head because that's like the key tenet of Moon Knight is the fact that he's he's got all these different voices and people in his head and uh, that makes that's where like the drama comes from. So hopefully they do a good call on that one. Um and honestly, we're not I don't think anyone said this yet, but I hope they do the costume, the right costume because his costume can seem kind of weird, but it's so cool that it's just like pure white with the giant moon symbol and he's got a full face mask on, but it feels like it's like a piece of cloth. I hope they I hope they do that. Uh Miss Marvel, my pick if you're asking me is um um Geraldine Vishwanathan uh, from Blockers and uh, what was the show the movie it wasn't called uh, I don't know, it was a it was a Netflix movie that had a cucumber the cucumber thing it was basically about the guy whose penis got cut off um, but she was in that too everything she's been in I have laughed so hard at she's she's a really great actress and I would love to see her or uh, honestly I don't care though because I'm gonna get a Miss Marvel anyway I mean I'm staring at my Funko Pops right now and I'm literally looking at Miss Marvel and Moon Knight up on on top of each other stacked on top of each other but um, and then She-Hulk I have zero thoughts on who could play She-Hulk um, I always thought that Jennifer Connelly would have made a really good She-Hulk, but she obviously played Betty Ross in the movies, so we can't really... Well, no, that was that I think is why I wanted it, was because she was Betty Ross and Ang Lee's Hulk, and so she's there's she is not she doesn't really exist in the MCU other than as the voice of Peter Parker's um, suit in Homecoming and Far From Home, and uh, 
So to see her as She-Hulk would be cool, and it'd be a cool callback to her playing an Ang Lee's Hulk. But other than that, I have no preferences or anything like that. So uh, that's the that's the big news right now. Um, I'm not going to have some sort of surprise podcast tomorrow for whatever Marvel announces tomorrow. I will. Uh, I'll just talk about it on Sunday when I do the the Sunday box office, and hopefully, hopefully it's something good because that that would be something fun to talk about for sure. So no, for for today we'll talk about the uh, the new movies that are coming out this weekend, along with some of the movies that I saw this week. So. Uh, this weekend we're getting uh, we're getting a couple of uh, movies actually. Uh, actually, we're getting quite a few. So um, I'm going through here. I think Art of Racing in the Rain is this weekend. It may, it may have been last weekend, but definitely Peanut Butter Falcon, which I'm actually going to be seeing tomorrow with my brother. That's with Shia LaBeouf along with uh, Dakota Johnson and newcomer Zach Gotzigan. And, uh, and then also John Hawks as well. It's a, it's a movie about, it says Zach runs away from his care home to make his dream of becoming a wrestler come true. And feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's Zach Gotts again is a, he's, he has down syndrome. So he is obviously it's a, um, I think I would say exciting movie to see that sort of thing because from what Shia LaBeouf said, and boy does Shia LaBeouf look weird in this interview photo. He looks like he's gotten really old. He said he, he said he was awesome to work with. That Zach was awesome. So I can't wait to see his performance in this movie. Um, I really want to see Ready or Not this weekend. That movie technically didn't come out this weekend. It came out on Wednesday, but I would highly, highly recommend seeing this movie. It's getting really good reviews. If you like horror, mystery, thriller type stuff, it um it's a short movie too it's only an hour and uh, 35 minutes so if you're the kind of person who go who sees a movie later in in you know watching it at home and goes man why didn't why didn't enough people see this movie sort of thing like yeah now's your chance go see it cuz this is one of those movies that i think is going is really good it's at a 7.2 right now on uh, imdb and a 63 on its metacritic score uh, Blinded by the Light, I think, came out, or maybe it was that last weekend. Here we go. Angel has fallen. Surprisingly, I actually really want to see this movie. Um, that is the threequel to uh, White House has fallen. Is that what it was? The White House has fallen, and then London has fallen. Uh, the story of uh, Secret Service agent Mike Banning, and he's framed for the attempted assassination of the president and must evade his own agency and the FBI as he tries to uncover the real threat. Uh, it's obviously it's not getting good reviews right now. It's at a 6.8 out with a thousand reviews. It's not enough. I, I, I shouldn't even be saying these numbers because, in my opinion, don't trust the reviews because I saw another another review that uh, said it was a really good movie, that it, it does a really good job of dealing with sort of current events and that sort of thing, which is sign me up for. But I like these movies just for the fact that I know that if I'm going to see this movie, it's going to be like a knockout action movie. And as dumb as it's going to be, it's it's going to have its funny moments too from even possibly how dumb it is. But um, that's why I want to see it for the most part. That and like I said, if it, if it actually is a good movie, I'm, I'm that even better for that reason. So I would advise you to check that one out as well. And then there's still also some great movies that are in theaters too. You know, any chance you get to go to the movies is a chance that you should take up for sure. But uh, those are the ones coming out this weekend. Uh, I would say if we're placing bets that, uh, let me see, because I'm going to have to check on this later. Angel has fallen. I think that will get um, 15 to 20 million opening day. And then Ready or Not is probably going to get 10 million. Peanut Butter Falcon is probably going to get like 5 million because I don't even think it's in a lot of theaters right now. But uh, 
maybe more five five to ten would be my guess on that one and uh, so we'll see if I'm right on those but uh, let's move into the ones that I saw this week so three movies that I saw this week and I love that every week so far it's been three but uh, it's a this is a uh, this is an eclectic mix for sure so on uh, on Tuesday my wife and I went and saw Dora in the Lost City of Gold and um not for any reason other than uh, we both really wanted to see this movie. The trailer had us interested for sure. I could tell, and it seemed like there were some stupid parts of it, like, oh, great, that's a kid's movie sort of thing. But uh, I'm so happy to say that I was wrong. And yeah, there was some clunky dialogue and some clunky comedy bits, but for the most part, I was laughing my ass off in this movie. Like, I, I was laughing so hard. It was so funny. Um, there was just so many good comedy bits in it. Like, uh, and one of the best ones was, so the movie starts with, uh, with Dora and Diego and all of them as, as little kids. And we actually walked in a couple minutes late to the movie, which was a bummer, but, um, they were all, it was essentially the Dora theme song, like Dora, 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 the Explorer. Uh, but they're all singing it as the kids and they're like driving around, like essentially having an adventure, like a live action, uh, title sequence for Dora, which was cool. And then it went to 10 years later and the girl who plays Dora was, um, she was awesome. She was so good. So while we're at that, um, the movie is directed by James Bobbin, and written by Chris Gi- or Chris Gifford is the one who created it, but the screenplay is by Matthew Robinson and Nicholas Stoller. And um, so it stars uh, Isabella Monaire, and you guys might recognize her from Transformers. And she was also in Sicario and uh, Sicario: Day of the Soldado, Soldado, and Instant Family. And all three of those movies I enjoyed. Sicario probably the least of the th- well, no, Transformers was really bad. But um, she was not the reason those movies were bad. She does a great job every time I've seen her, and and more so in this movie because she plays a pep-happy Dora the entire movie. And it was so cool to see them them lean lean into that because it's like, okay, what kind of a movie can you make with Dora? Oh, she's going to go on an adventure. Yeah, well, how can you make that interesting? What if we age her up 10 years, but she's the exact same person because she's lived in the jungle and has no uh, outside influence? She's completely positive, incredibly smart, unflinchingly brave, and uh, and she does this stuff, the thing just like in Dora where she looks at the camera after she says something and says, can you say, and says it, but um, it was great. You know, they, they did the songs for her backpack and her map, but they're in completely different contexts and were brilliant. Diego grew up and lived the, the regular teen life. So he's like the, the amount, the uh, kind of the window into the high school and doesn't really want to be around Dora because she's uh, obviously like an instant outcast because of how positive she is. But what is so cool about this movie is they really play up the whole, the fact of, just be yourself and everything will work out fine sort of thing. Like be proud to be who you are. And they never flinch from that. Like even there is even the classic, like she embarrasses Diego to the nth degree at the high school dance, which happens like 20 minutes into the movie. So you know right there that it's a good movie because a typical movie like this would have saved that for the very end as the big conflict where her and Diego have to work out their feelings. But guess what? They're family, they're cousins. So they don't have to do that. It's a better movie than that. They work their stuff out. And she's like, I'm not basically like I'm not, 
gonna not be who I am. Like I'm gonna be positive all the time because that's just who I am. And that's all she says something like that's all that's the only person I know how to be. And it's like that's such a good message for kids. Like just be yourself, be positive, be happy. That too, and the quote unquote villain of the groups is a is a super smart girl who is essentially a bully because she doesn't want Dora to compete with her. Like essentially when the teacher asks a question, she's the only one that puts her hand up. Now Dora's putting her hand up and she's like, Are you kidding me? I can't have this. So that makes for a very interesting school bully in a sense because it's typically the jock and in this case it's not so they toss that on its head and um there's a there's some cool twists in the movie that i won't spoil but the best part i think at least the part that's so vividly in my head is there's a scene where they're they're back in the jungle the school kids they end up in the jungle again and they're going through this field of flowers and uh and dora's like don't touch any of them and so they're trying to walk through them and uh the guy who kind of plays their, he's not necessarily their wa- their watcher, but he, he saves them and helps them out, uh, Eugenio Derbez, and he's hilarious, he's really funny, he does a great job, and while we're there, her parents are played by Michael Pena and Eva Longoria, and uh, my app's frozen, so I'm going to have to reopen it, but um, yeah, it's not working, jeez bad production quality, sorry guys, but uh, they're, so they're walking through this, this uh, thing of plants, and she's like, don't touch anything, and one of them accidentally touches it, and the um, like the the what is it called the the pollen comes out of the plants, and they're like, "Don't breathe it in," and she's like, "Well, wait a minute." She goes, "Wait, if we'd have, if we'd be dead already if this was poison." She's like, "I don't think this is poison," and she looks over at Diego, and Diego's head is now the cartoon head of Diego from Dora, and so it's like, "Oh no, they're tripping. They're like they're they're getting high from the plants." And, uh, and so he looks back at Dora and Dora is the full cartoon character, Dora. And all of a sudden, like her map comes out and her backpack and they're like, Hey Dora. And like, it, it was so funny. It was the perfect way of putting those characters, the cartoon versions into the movie and honoring that source material. So that was, like I said, favorite part of the movie for hands down, uh, Benicio del Toro plays swiper. And then I won't reveal who plays the voice of boots. Uh, but you'll be pleasantly surprised when it happens. And then just so you're aware, Jeff Wahlberg plays the adult, uh, the adult, the teen Diego. And he was, um, looks like he hasn't really been in a lot of stuff. He's actually hasn't been in anything I've seen. He's a relatively new actor. But like I said, I give that movie an eight out of 10. That was a great movie in my eyes. Uh, next movie that I saw, this was, this is a, uh, this movie, you might think I'm a little twisted for seeing this movie. A little crazy, a little, uh, a little quirky. I saw Dunstan Checks In, which is a, a comedy family film from 1996. Uh, one night I was, uh, I was on Xbox with my brother and I was like, Hey, do you want to watch a movie? He's like, yeah, that sounds great. And we were like, well, what movie do you want to watch? And he's like, well, you know, I actually have a couple on my watch list on HBO, uh, that, uh, that we could watch. And he's like, I got this movie called Dunstan Checks In. And I was like, what is that? What does that even mean? And he goes, all I know is it says on IMDb, a young boy befriends a larcenous orangutan in a luxury hotel. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. That's that like, how is that even a premise? Like, how did this movie even get allowed to be made? And here's some interesting tidbits and facts on this. So 
1996. This movie is directed by Ken Quapis. And if that name sounds familiar, Ken Quapis is known for a lot of things. He is known for Parks and Rec, Malcolm in the Middle, The Office, Freaks and Geeks, License to Wed. He did he's he's basically like a producer and director and has done a ton of stuff. But he I mean he's he's directed multiple episodes of all of those shows. Um, and many, many more shows. His IMDb page is just littered with uh, with accolades. So you got you set up for success. Got a great director. We've got John Hopkins doing the screenplay, and John Hopkins uh, is all not really well known. He actually didn't do a lot of screenplays, so we can kind of see how you know, the, the reason why, because, you know, you can't, I bet you John Hopkins, when he was a kid, he said, oh man, you know, I, I've got this idea. I've got, he, he even went to film school. He had this idea in his head of an orangutan in a luxury hotel. He had a dream about it one night, a fever dream. And he woke up and he said, I have to dedicate the rest of my life to this. And I, I think Don Hopkins died the day after this movie came out because he, uh, um, he had nothing more to, to contribute that was his goal and he did it he achieved it no he didn't die uh but yeah it's it's that weird so movie stars jason and this was so my brother goes yeah like the reason i wanted to see this movie is because jason alexander's in this movie and we're all like we we are huge seinfeld fans and so anytime we can watch them in other settings so jason alexander is in this faye dunaway and then eric lloyd who you may be familiar with as the little kid from santa claus and also the second santa claus as well uh, but yeah, he's the kid from Santa Claus and he, and this movie was made two years after Santa Claus. So he still is a kid and he acts the same way he does in Santa Claus. I liked him in that movie because he's like, uh, a rambunctious kid, but he's not afraid to talk to adults. So he's kind of got a very professional, um, acting voice when he speaks to adults and that, and that carries over in this, but like, Oh, and then here's, here's the, uh, standout performance in this movie. Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman himself is in this movie. And you, if you didn't know that Paul Rubens was in this movie, you may not know because he plays the sort of this like, uh, his name is Buck Lafarge or maybe Lafargue, but um, he's like the exterminator who's like a professional at getting orangutans and monkeys and stuff. And, uh, and he's super weird, but the voice that he's using and the, the motions and like acting that he's doing is completely not Paul Rubens. So we, and we both commented like, wow, he is not, he is like, he's created a new character. It was really impressive. Uh, and then there's a couple of others in here. The, the bad guy in the movie is Lord Rutledge played by Rupert Everett, who, uh, was in my best friend's wedding and some other stuff from the nineties, basically, Oh, he was the ornithologist in Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. That was a really good movie. But, um, yeah, so I gave this movie, I'm just going to tell you this story, I gave this movie a 4 out of 10. And if a movie gets this low of a rating, it's it's one of those movies where it's either so bad it's good or so bad. And in this case, it was a so bad it's good situation. So I'm only recommending this movie to you if you, one, like Jason Alexander, and uh, two, like orangutans in hotels, trying to steal things because that's really all you're going to get in this. But the movie itself was actually really, um, it was an interesting story. So essentially there's in it, I commented on this too. I was like, wow, this is a 100% 90s movie. This is a story of a man who is the sort of, uh, I guess you could say the hotel manager and he has two sons and that's Jason Alexander and the kid from Santa Claus and one other kid. And he's like being worked to the bone by Faye Dunaway, who owns the hotel. 
and they're try they're worried that this there's he's like she's like you know about the the like a four star hotel she's like they came up with it's like a five star they came up with a six star and apparently that person may be in our hotel this weekend and she's like now fight you need to fire somebody like she's she was a basically a horrible um hotel owner essentially and so the the premise of the movie though is jason alexander is a single dad and that part was cool because you don't see that very often but he like kisses his kids before they go to bed and he has some really funny lines like really you know how jason alexander is he's got he's pretty smart as a whip sort of thing but um so they're like, oh, they've got this trip planned to go to, um, where was it? To go to some, I don't remember, was it Cabo? Cabo San, some weird, like, totally Jason, like, some totally white person place that you would go. Like, that's why I was like, wow, this is such a, like, such a 90s movie. But then Faye Dunaway comes and is like, hey, these people are coming. We need you to stay at the hotel. And he's like, he's like, hey, like, you've asked me to do this three times in a row now. I've had to reschedule this vacation with my kids, and I really need it. I want, I want to spend time with them, and she's like, well, you know, you can either do this and then spend time with them after, or you can spend as much time with them as you want when I fire you, and he's like, ah, and his, I mean, there's a lot of hijinks in this movie, but the, the impetus of the movie, and this is the worst, most psychotic part of this movie, is Lord Rutledge, who has, is like a, this British, tall man with glasses he is staying at the hotel and he picks a specific room that he wants and everyone starts thinking that he is this uh, guy the guy doing the sixth star but in reality he is a con artist a master thief and what does he do he has a orangutan that uh that does the thieving for him and if you think that's crazy, it is. It's a hundred percent crazy. So just as an example, he gets in his room and the orangutan's in a trunk, and he opens the trunk, and the orangutan only does things like 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 classic orangutan lines. And he's like, oh, stop it. And uh he like climbs. Rutledge himself finds oh this is psychotic. Okay, so he he steals a bellhop's uniform finds the room of the per there's like some lady who's got all these jewels and he finds her room right he finds her room finds a key to open her room and then he goes into her room and places a like a red ribbon on the window outside of her room and you're like okay cool and then he lets the orangutan out and he's like all right you've got your orders basically like go steal everything from there while um there's like a big party going on downstairs essentially and so i i, I get the piece where he says and, and, it, and it makes sense because he so the orangutan goes goes through the outside climbs in through the window and steals everything and uh and then obviously you know the hotel's in disarray but then the little kid finds the orangutan and they become friends and they attempt to rescue the orangutan because lord rutledge is like i'm gonna kill you like i killed your brother like there were two orangutans at one point but um so like the hotel re-reviews the hotel video footage and they're like, no one went in the room at all. But then literally after that, they're like, but wait, isn't that Lord Rutledge doing something completely different? It's like, dude, man, like if you'd have, if they're going to catch you anyway, why didn't you just grab all her stuff when you went in the room? Doesn't make it absolutely didn't, didn't make sense. But like I said, it was a funny movie because of how stupid the movie was. Like it was just the prep, that premise, like who thought it would be a good idea to have an orangutan be the, pre- Rutledge himself 
could have opened up. They were one floor below, or maybe even who cares how many floors it was. There's pipes outside. He could have been strong enough to just open the window, climb up the pipes, climb in the window, get everything, and he could have been fine. He would have been done, and he would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for that orangutan because uh, it's an orangutan. Like, how are you? It's an orangutan. And, And let me point out, too, I saw a news article today that orangutans are going extinct. One, that's a damn shame because they're great. But two, you know, I'm honestly, I didn't see how they're going extinct. And I'm sure, look, preface, this is for comedy purposes, but I get why they're going extinct because they're not good at stealing things. They're not good at getting things. And they're certain, like he, he tries to say hi to the little kid and scares the kid. And the kid's like walking a dog on the roof and the dog falls off the roof. The dog falls all the way down into a dumpster and is completely fine. And I was, I called BS on that one immediately, but like this, this orangutan, I just, I mean, okay, look, you got to honestly see it for yourself and tell me I'm wrong. Tell me this was an amazing movie because it certainly wasn't except for the relationship that Jason Alexander had with his kids. I thought that was really touching. Jason Alexander tried his best. I'm not, I'm not saying he didn't. He, he definitely gave, he gave at least, and then Paul Rubens too was killer. I mean, it was nice because this is during the nineties. So they're a lot, uh, they're a lot younger. The, the actors are younger. So this was during their peak, I guess you could say. I mean, it was right, wasn't that right around when Jason Alexander was in Seinfeld, I think, or right towards the end of it? Um, so yeah, but that moves into my final and favorite of the three movies, and this is actually a rewatch. Um, my Hero Academia, Two Heroes. This movie is phenomenal. If you haven't seen this movie, what are you doing with your life? Check out this movie. If you, um, if, especially if you're a fan of the show. If you're not, um, allow me to uh, elucidate here. So directed by Kenji Nagasaki and written by uh, Kohei Horikoshi. And the script was by Yosuke Kuroda. And then um, voice acting, uh, the dubbed version. Uh, and I, Okay, look, and this I figured we'd get to this at some point, but uh, anime movies, anime shows often have a sub or a dub. And if they're subbed, that's the original, so like in Japanese with English sub subtitles, or dubbed, which is when it's in English. I, for the most part, prefer dubbed, especially if I'm watching it in dubbed first, right? Like, if I see the first season of the show in dubbed, I don't want to see the second season in subbed because it's going to confuse me because they're different voice actors. And in this case, I, you know, I watched the movie dubbed, but you got Christopher Sabat, who played, who voices All Might. And uh, for those of you out there keeping score, he also is the voice of Vegeta and Piccolo. And then Justin Briner is Izuku Midoriya. Ray Chase plays David Shield. Erica Mendez plays Melissa Shield. And then there's a whole host of voice actors for all of the characters in the show or in the movie. But um, the the plot is All Might, or the it's it's tough to explain. But so essentially, this is a world where everyone has uh, almost everybody has a quirk, which is essentially a superpower. So imagine this is a show where everybody is a mutant. And there's a very small percentage of the population who is not a mutant, but for the most part, they all have quirks and they all have a power. And the story centers around uh, Izuku Midoriya, who is a a student, young kid, who has no power. He he doesn't have a quirk. He's quirkless. But he wants to be a hero like his hero, All Might, who is the number one hero. And um, basically, when you have your quirks, if they're really powerful quirks, you can go to school for being a hero. And you do training, like going to, you know, X-Men school. And, uh, and at the end of it, you work for people or you just work to save, save the world sort of thing. And you're ranked. So, 
Um, All Might is the number one hero of all, of uh, at the t- of time, basically. And and so what happens is, uh, in the very first in the first season, um, All Might saves uh, Midoriya. And he's like, I want to be a hero like you. Like he's basically showing him, like I just want to be a hero. And All Might sees something in him. He sees what he saw in himself. And you find out that All Might's power is actually was given to him. He is also quirk was quirkless. And so the power is called One for All. And uh, what that power does, it, it, you can you pass it on to another person, and it's essentially like the power of all of the other people that came before you. So that's why he's the number one hero, is because he's like the most powerful hero, and it's insane how powerful he is. If you haven't seen the show, like him and uh, Midoriya, and there's a ton of other characters that are just so high powered. But um, so that's the story: is he gives him his power, and then he, along with another a whole group of heroes, are going to UA High School, which is the number one hero high school. Um, in the country and so they're going there to train to be heroes so this this movie takes place during the summer in between um school grades essentially and so all might is taking and and so they go and they have code names too obviously that um, aren't their real names so his is uh izuku midoriya's is deku and that's because that's the name that his rival uh kachan who is um or katsuki bakugo i guess you could say his name is bakugo but uh, he's like a he's a bully to him, and they're rivals, and he always calls him Deku because I think that means useless. And so he was like, you know what, I'm gonna own it, and that's my that's my hero name. I'm Deku. But he's he's got a ton of power because he's got All Might's power now. But he can't tell anybody that he has All Might's power. So they go to this uh, island where um, like all these scientists live and do work on it's like a floating island and they do that to keep up security and there's like this big um expo expo essentially where people can show off what they've done um there's a lot of scientists and support people who help out the heroes by creating like uh helmets race cars that sort of stuff and wouldn't you know it you know a villain ends up taking the place hostage including all might and so the kids have to save the day essentially and uh that that's all i'll say because there really isn't any more to say i mean it's 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 your basic fighting like anime type movie they win at the end of the day but what you want to see this movie for is the character the character work and the fights the fights in this movie are insane because deku is deku's crazy like his power is crazy in the show he can only use five uh, percent of his power otherwise he'll destroy his body which is a cool concept like what do you do when you have ultimate power but you can't use it and so in the show um that melissa shield girl who's the daughter of all might's friend david shield um gives gives deku a gauntlet that he can wear on his hand that can absorb his power and she doesn't know really that it's all might's power but she says that this gauntlet will uh could handle all might's punches three times so it's like oh man deku's gonna go crazy with this and oh he does but not only that you get to see him and all might fight and then you also get the other get to see the other students like bakugo whose powers are like explosions and then one of the other really powerful kids todoroki who um his powers are ice and fire and then just there a lot of the students are there and they all just have these great great fight scenes and then there's great character work between them where you see their relationships grow and evolve from what they've learned in the past um, but yeah, like I said, if you, if you haven't seen this anime and it was something where like, oh yeah, people were talking about my hero. Um, maybe I should check it out. Watch this movie because the movie doesn't affect the show at all. The movie does take place after season two, but there really isn't much that you would be missing other than the fact that 
Obviously, this isn't the beginning of Deku's story, but they do do flashbacks in the movie. So you're, you're caught up at that time. So this is a great, it's only like an hour and 29 minutes or something. So it's a great primer for if you're curious about this show. Um, because the fourth season of the show is actually coming out later this year. And, um, like I said, it's just, this is an incredible movie. It's so good. And this was the second time I've seen it and it's even better the second time. So I would highly recommend jumping on that one as well. And, uh, those are the three movies that I saw, um, during this week. So like I said, I'll be back on here Sunday to discuss the movies that I see this weekend, along with box office results and anything that comes out of Marvel from D23. So for comics and cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thanks so much for listening.